Let's pray. Father God, as we gather around your word this morning, help us to hear what you would say to us through it and help us to follow you. In Jesus' name, Amen. In Richard Foster's superb book, Prayer, he tells the story of a pastoral encounter with a woman who was battling against mental illness. The woman sat in the pastor's office with her husband, delivering what Foster describes as a rapid-fire monologue about emotional illness, psychiatric treatment, mental health hospitals. And as she spoke, the pastor felt this unmistakable prompting within him, saying, Tell this woman her sins are forgiven her. Odd, he thought. But it wouldn't go away, so he decided to give it a go. And initially, it didn't seem to register. He said, your sins are forgiven you. But each time he spoke, the woman went right on talking over him, detailing this illness or that period in hospital. And so he tried again. Your sins are forgiven you. With the same result. And again. And again, eventually he reached across. He held the woman by the shoulders, looked her straight in the eye and said, look at me, I'm trying to tell you, your sins are forgiven you. The woman stopped mid-sentence. What did you say? Your sins have forgiven you, replied Foster's friend. At once, big tears filled up in the woman's eyes. And she asked, they are? Yes, they are, came the reply. And tears flowed from the woman. As she turned to her husband and announced over and over, my sins have forgiven me. My sins have forgiven me. The woman did require ongoing counselling, but Foster talks about how that day when the woman acknowledged that her sins had been forgiven was a significant breakthrough. And since then, she had not spent any more time in hospital, which for her was a major difference to her life. Her life had, to all intents and purposes, been paralysed by her illness. But now healing had begun and forgiveness was a step in enabling her to move on. We've been working slowly through the story of Jesus as told by Mark. And in the last few weeks we've seen Jesus healing all sorts of people. Today we come to a quite graphic very comical story of Jesus healing a paralysed man. But like the story in Richard Foster's book, it started with words of forgiveness. This isn't the first time Mark has spoken of Jesus in Capernaum. 
It was the scene of that very busy day we spoke about in the last few weeks where Jesus deals with a guy with an unclean spirit in the synagogue in the morning. Then he heals Peter's mother-in-law in the afternoon and then deals with what seems like the whole time in the evening. And the next morning there was another crowd waiting for him, but Jesus was nowhere to be seen. He'd gone off to a quiet spot to pray. And the disciples chased after him and said, What are you doing out here? Everyone's looking for you. But rather than just giving in to the demands, he just said, No. And set off touring around the other towns and villages in the area. Now he's back in Capernaum. We're not told much about the man himself, but I wonder if he'd been amongst the crowd waiting for Jesus that morning when Jesus went off. Maybe his friends had brought him the previous evening, but the crowds had kept him at bay and they thought, oh, we'll bring him in the morning, only to find Jesus gone by then. Maybe he and they thought their chance had gone. But now Jesus is back in town and they're not going to miss out again. Since he was last around, word had got about that Jesus had healed a leper. And if Jesus could do that, then surely their paralysed friend's got to be worth a shot. But as they approached the house, they found the route to Jesus was blocked off by the crowds, which had filled the house and spilled out onto the street. Still, they weren't going to be deterred. Houses in that area, in that era, tended to be like little box-like, single-room, single-storey affairs with flat roofs. The roof was made of beams, which were tightly packed with mud in between them. And the roof was a usable outdoor space if you wanted to get some peace and quiet. You could climb up onto it by accessing it by some steps built into the side of the house. And the roof could also quite easily be cut through and taken apart and mended afterwards. That's how the friends get the paralysed man up there. I can't help but smile as I imagine the scene. Jesus is teaching the crowd. They're hanging on his every word. And then suddenly there's something of a bit of a racket going on above them. Bits of mud and dirt start to drop off the ceiling onto the people below until suddenly a hole appears and then everybody starts backing away getting pushed against the wall jesus stops mid-sentence as this guy is lowered from the ceiling to jesus feet jesus looks up and sees four smiling, sweaty faces peering down at him through the hole in the roof. He looks down and sees another one staring up at him from the mat expectantly. I wonder, maybe there's just this brief moment of realisation of what they've done. Because something that people don't often pick up from this story is whose house this is. Some assume that at some point Jesus' mother Mary must have moved from Nazareth to Capernaum and this was her house. Others assume that Jesus took up residence at Peter and Andrew's home. But there's a more obvious and simpler explanation. This 
is actually Jesus' house. Sure, he was going to become an itinerant preacher, but Jesus appears to have made Capernaum his base for at least some of his life. And up to that point, he has to live somewhere. So is there a moment of them thinking, we really want this guy to help us, and we've just trashed his house? There's a smile or even a chuckle across Jesus' face at the sheer bizarreness of the whole situation. As he dusts off bits of roof debris from his clothes. But Jesus looks into the heart of the situation and the heart of the guy on the map. We're not told any reason why the guy should think this he did. But the root of his problem is this sense that God's angry with him, that without forgiveness, he'll never be able to start over. And then Jesus says those words. Your sins have forgiven you. Maybe for a moment you just wonder if Jesus is talking about the hole in the roof. And they're saying, oh, don't worry about that. That's okay. And then it sinks in. Jesus means so much more than that. All that stands between him and that new life he's longed for. Somehow it's been dealt with. There's an awkward silence for a moment. No one says anything, but you can sense it in the air. And then Jesus, for the first time, lifts his gaze from the guy on the map and turns to face all those teachers who have come all the way from Jerusalem to check him over. What, says Jesus? You think I can't? Words are easy, aren't they? How can I possibly prove I'm right when I say God has forgiven him? Yeah. However, I can prove God's power to give him a new start. And then Jesus looks down at the guy on the mat once more and says, Come on, get up, take your mat and go home. And the guy does, to the amazement of everyone in Capernaum. There's just a couple of thoughts I want to leave with you about this story this morning. One of them is the power of good friends. This guy didn't make his faith journey alone. There were times when he needed others to carry him, to believe in him, to believe with him, to believe for him. There are times when the road of faith is tough. Sometimes we can believe really easily. Other times it's a bit more of a struggle. So don't try to do it on your own. 
seek others who will journey with you, with whom you can be honest and say, you know what? I'm struggling right now. People who will place you before Jesus when you're struggling to do that for yourself. Likewise, be prepared to do that for others. There are plenty of times, largely because of what I do, that people will ask me to pray for them. I'm always happy to do so. Though I do always add, I don't have special access to the Almighty. I don't have a special hotline. God is willing to listen to them too. But sometimes people struggle to do that. And they want or need others to pray for them. And sometimes it's people of faith who ask me to do it. But often it's people who wouldn't claim to have any faith. Or would, who would admit they struggle to believe in anything. Don't underestimate the power of bringing them to Jesus. But finally, guilt and shame can be very powerful emotions and they can control us. They can keep us believing that, oh, God wouldn't want to know you. God wouldn't welcome you. One of the pictures I've been carrying around in my head as I've sat with this story, and I've not really been able to shift it, is that, you know, the glass ceiling. Some of you will have experienced this in life uh, when because of your gender or your ethnicity or your age or background. It's like you're hitting your ceiling and you can't get through it. That there's something about you or you don't have any control over it. And it's getting to define you. Well, you know, maybe we can feel that way with God. You might have a certain amount of faith, you might not. You might have got so far along your faith journey and you'd like to move on, but there's just there's something that just you keep hitting up against. It feels like a barrier you're hitting. Something that's getting to define you. Something that's got a hold on you. Something in your past, maybe something in your makeup. And maybe you can even convince yourself that if you bring it to God, you might not be welcome. That God might not want to deal with that. And I suppose what I'm carrying around with me from this story is that the path to Jesus is not a glass ceiling, but a mud one. One that is relatively easily dismantled and breached. And when the paralyzed man is brought to Jesus, he finds him with a smile on his face, a chuckle, and the first words. 
child, I'm not angry with you. And neither is God. It's all right. Come on. God is not looking on us with a stern, austere justice. God looks on us with perfect love, with a heart that yearns to give us fresh starts, that doesn't want the past to have the power to define us, but wants to raise us up to new life, to the new start. When we come to Jesus, we find we're already forgiven. So my prayer is that wherever we find ourselves in need of grace, that we will be joined by people to journey with. People whom we'll carry sometimes. And sometimes they'll carry us. And then we'll find ourselves at the feet of Jesus. And once there, might we hear that whatever has brought you here doesn't get to define you. God is able and willing to give you the fresh start. Your sins are forgiven. Rise. Set off into the new life. Set off with the assurance to embrace the new life God has got for you. Grace and peace. Amen.